Hey, Emma. Yeah, Caleb? Barbenheimer. Barbenheimer. What'd you think? I enjoyed it. Big what? fan? Big fan. Big fan of both movies. Okay, which one is your favorite? Uh, Barbie, obviously. God, we are, we really fell into the, like, cliche boy-girl movie thing, huh? Because my favorite was Oppenheimer. We'll do better. We'll do better next time. We'll do better next time. <laughs> well, I don't, I don't, I feel like it's going to be, uh, I know exactly what the next double feature. Stay tuned. Oh, God. The worst. I know the next the next double feature, you're going to like one, and I'm going to really like one. I hope we both like both, but one of them I know I really love. Anywho, Barbenheimer. You prefer Barbie. I prefer Oppenheimer. Why did you prefer Barbie to Oppenheimer? Well, because I enjoyed watching Barbie, because it was fun to watch, because I, I laughed, I cried. I enjoyed myself, and I watched Oppenheimer, and it made me feel bad. Fascinating. <laughs> I felt great watching both of them. Oppenheimer was just, it was a, like, subject matter, obviously, not the most fun, not the most enjoyable thing in the world, but from a cinematic perspective, the everything about it was just fucking phenomenal, um, and I was fully engrossed. It's why I went back time and time again, and I will probably see it at least one more time before it leaves theater. And it'll end up on my Blu-ray shelf as soon as I can get a hold of it. Although, same with Barbie. When saw it multiple times, as soon as it's available in physical media, I will be buying it. So it sticks on that shelf. And hopefully Warner Brothers keeps doing physical media because apparently now Disney is phasing that out. They like are no longer making Blu-rays and DVDs for Australia. This is tragic for you. This is really tragic for me. Like Physical media is a, <laughs> a big part of movies for me. Like I... I are you going to have to, like, fly overseas and get a bootleg copy? <laughs> well, if they do it in the U.S., yes. But so far, they're just... And it's just Disney, just in Australia, last I checked. I don't know if that's, that's changed so yet. so specific. Or... What's wrong with Australians? It is weird. I really don't understand, like, why they're doing it for Australia specifically. I don't... I, I don't know why, like, it would cost them any amount of... I'm sure some egghead ran the numbers and were like, <laughs> it's more profitable for us to just put everything on Disney Plus and not have to make the DVDs and the Blu-rays. Fucking nerd, shut up. Take it back. Keep making physical media, please. All right, that has nothing to do with Barbenheimer, <laughs> but I fucking love physical media. Do you think it is a good double feature? Would you recommend people to go see it if they somehow didn't go see it while these were in theaters? So, in the realm of double features when we're talking about like the worst double feature possible garbage cheer movies are making each other worse and like the best double feature ever they're so resonant it's beautiful it's a wonderful symphony of double features right. i feel like we are solidly at the a walmart on like a tuesday afternoon like it's fine what does that mean <laughs> you know not too crowded because it's not an evening but it's still a walmart so it's only okay Wow, all right, bougie <laughs> ass over here. Walmart sorry, we can't sorry we can't all be Friday night target. All right. <laughs> no, absolutely not. I am a Monday morning sprouts. <laughs> That's even worse. <laughs> it's the best time I've ever had in a grocery store. It's completely empty. It smells nice. You get to stare at all of the weird organic things and really wish that they had Doritos. <laughs> Just moving. Yeah, yeah, that's why you go to Walmart. You want your trash food, go to your trash place, all right? And admit that you belong there. <laughs> Anywho, Barbenheimer, middling double feature is kind yeah. of where we land. I would agree. I think there is like a tiny bit of thematic resonance, 
not really a ton. They're both just fantastic movies with both have fantastic casts. Like every element of each Mm -hmm. of these films is fantastic. So if you just want to spend an entire day, because it is ultimately a, if you're watching them back to back exactly, it's five hours roughly, you're probably going to take a break. So that's a six hour double feature. That's like most of your day. That's probably your entire day is killed Mm -hmm. watching these together. So like not the greatest recommendation, Um, but if you're going to do it, it's an okay time because they're both fantastic movies. Well, I don't think they make each other worse. No. Like, I don't think there's something that you're like, oh, this is like like now weird and terrible, which I think is impressive a little bit in and of itself because there's such a bad tonal whiplash between the two. That like, even with that, I think because Barbie ends on sort of like a, I don't know that it ends on a bittersweet note because it ends on straight comedy, but the the last part of it is sort of bittersweet. The the kind of denouement is a bit bittersweet, is a, is all your characters kind of coming to terms with the fact that their world has changed and they have to change with it. And now let's go on and make those changes. And they're probably going to encounter some troubles and some pain going forward. But they're in a decent place where we leave them. And so I like bittersweet is fair enough. But yes, it doesn't on a very funny note. And I think um, Oppenheimer know. does not. No. It ends on a, <laughs> the world is going to end. And I, as this character, played a massive part in doing it. Possibly the sole reason the world ends. Death, doom, despair, existential dread. Yeah, it's a great time. So... <laughs> That's why, you know, go and see it Some again and again don't and again. enjoy existential dread, Caleb. Well, listen, maybe that's something you need to go see your therapist about. I do. <laughs> okay, I got it. Uh, which one do you think goes first? If you're doing this double feature again, first off, will you ever do this double feature again? No. <laughs> Absolutely not. No uh, reason to. <laughs> it's, it's not enough of a double feature to, like, make an event beyond the event that we already had, and it is far too much of an endeavor both from like a mental and like emotional uh commitment as well as time just and i'm not gonna not gonna sit through it again but if you had to which one are you doing first and which one did you do first i did barbie first um i would say you should absolutely watch barbie first because i feel like it's a good like it's not a totally fluffy movie there's not nothing there where it's like straight fluffed and then straight into oppenheimer because i feel like it's a fluffy movie that's thought provoking you get a little thought train warmed up you start revving the engine because maybe you rev engines on trains i don't know how train it depends on which work. kind of train you're rocking you're talking <laughs> coal train you talk in modern like whatever those trains use <laughs> you started so well <laughs> listen i i'm no david sims all Somebody's right. got to know more about trains than us. The people who work on them, probably. Hopefully. Ideally. Uh, okay, so Barbie first, because it's kind of a light, fluffy, but it still gets you thinking. Oppenheimer is just so much of a downer for you that there is no kind of coming back from it. No, and I think that you sort of don't want to, like, jump into the deep end and then, like, stroll your way to the shallow end. Like, sometimes I think that would work. But yeah. I feel like here it wouldn't because it's just like you're in the deep end and the shallow end starts even shallower. So it's just like there's no transition there to be had. That is absolutely fair. I agree that you do Barbie first. Um, slightly different take, although more it's kind of in line of just like which one has a bit more of a light fun while still being interesting and meaningful. Um, just for me, Oppenheimer is such a it's such a hard movie and mm-hmm. not not that it was like difficult for me to watch and i wasn't enjoying myself but it's it's incredibly long for like most moviegoers um and it is a downer for like almost three hours it just it doesn't really relent or ever make you feel good even the moments that are like 
the up moments for our main character are like down moments for reality. Yeah. Um, and so leaving it, I just wasn't really, I didn't have the energy. I wasn't in the mood to go and see any, do anything else to go see another movie. Whereas normally when I leave the theater or I finish a movie at home and it's a really good movie, I am just so excited about movies in general that I immediately either find the next screening and go to another movie and do my own little double feature at the theater or I run home and I put on something from the shelf or something from Netflix. Uh, and I almost always, like, if I watch one good movie, I'm watching at least one other movie, not necessarily a good one. Mm-hmm. And if I had watched Oppenheimer first, I don't think, I think I may have canceled my reservation for the Barbie ticket. <laughs> and gone another day because it was just that kind of experience when there's sometimes because like some serious movies you can watch like a palate cleansing movie afterwards right yeah and you can just watch something totally light and fluffy and i just feel like oppenheimer doesn't have i don't know what quality it is that like makes that enjoyable but i feel like oppenheimer doesn't have it yeah i i don't fully grasp that uh in the in (laughs) yeah yeah i agree but there's i don't have the words for it right (laughs) Uh, but it's just it just kind of leaves you in like a little bit of a funk, and it's not so much a funk, at least not for me, that like ruined my day. Like I was still able to, I didn't just go home and lay in bed for the rest of the day, <laughs> but it wouldn't have made me as excited to go sit in a dark room for two hours again. Yeah. Um, so, you think that these are th- our thin thread for this one was that they came out on the same day. That's like the reason it was all mm-hmm. hyped all over Twitter and every other social media and the internet and in person. It was all everyone was talking about for like two weeks. You think there are some further threads that kind of link these movies together. What are those? Okay. So partially, I think that these two movies are both movies about things that we remember. So we remember Barbie from our childhoods and we remember Oppenheimer from probably some time in social studies class. Yep. Um, and so I think they also, to me, felt a lot like movies that capture the spirit of how we feel about something right now. That I think Oppenheimer, mm-hmm. as much as it is about Oppenheimer, I think it's also about how we feel about Oppenheimer in this moment. And I think Barbie, as much as it's about Barbie, it's also about how we feel about Barbie in this moment. Right. They're both movies that are kind of taking a look at a historical figure. Um, yeah. Well, those are both very different historical <laughs> figures and putting them through the lens of like our current world, right? Mm-hmm. Like we, at the time of world war ii and the atomic bomb like there were obviously people it's portrayed in the movie there are people who saw that as the terrible detrimental thing it was but a lot of the population at least in the u.s saw it as this magical thing to end the war and bring peacetime Mm -hmm. and now looking back we know how terrible it is and what an awful terrible action it was for oppenheimer to pursue that even though if maybe he thought it was naively the best thing at the time Um, and then seeing kind of how that story unfolds past that and Barbie is, for the most part, it while it was also a kids' movie and for little girls to kind of approach Barbie in a new light, it was a way for uh, women who had grown up with the doll and even men who had kind of got, like, grown up around it mm-hmm. to see it in a new light and ha- examine how that figure affected their life going forward. Both from a like, um, when like throughout the movie, have this discussion of like how Barbie affected feminism and maybe set back some of the ideas and maybe how for some it may have progressed those ideas and given them more hope for what they could do in the future uh and not a lot of hope in Oppenheimer but yes like you said looking back on historical figures through a current day lens and how that changes who we are well also just grappling with how we feel about them yeah in this moment right now so I think like that's a pretty that's a pretty thick thread that is a thick thread so let's discard it because that's (laughs) not what this show is about 
It's about thinner threads. Um, let's see. The they both made me cry. I think I don't know if that counts as a thread, but uh, they made really? they both made well, you cry. I didn't cry in Oppenheimer. I don't believe I did. Did I say did I cried? Did you not? No. Why would I cry in Oppenheimer? What? <laughs> okay. Well, <laughs> they both made me cry. No. Well, I could see why you would cry. Don't. don't I don't mean to just dismiss. <laughs> like, why would you cry? There was nothing sad in that movie. Um. I think like Oppenheimer didn't have a like visceral emotion like on that kind of level for mm. me because all of the movie and every like tragedy of that movie is taken through this kind of sociopathic lens of yeah. Oppenheimer. And so at every, even the most tragic moments where he is experiencing like the speech scene where we get the mm -hmm. thundering feet and we see that he like steps on the burned yeah. carcass and his face melts off or not his face, but someone in the crowd, um, like it was, it was visceral and it was upsetting, but it was still through this very like detached lens. Whereas with the Barbie movie, it was every emotion, every emotional beat, and every like big dramatic speech that I got in that film was coming very much from that person and from that character, and it felt just like real and it connected with me in a way that I don't think the Avenger movie ever could because mm. it was so much about like this historical figure through his own perception of himself for the most part. I think that's really interesting. Well, I think that maybe explains some of why I, I struggled watching Oppenheimer for sure. And I think that part of it is that like, I definitely never saw myself through the lens of Oppenheimer. And so well, let's even... not say I didn't see myself. Oh, no, I'm not, let's I'm not saying down. that you saw yourself. Calm down. I'm just saying that like, it, it like, I didn't feel that that movie was from his perspective when I watched it, which I know Christopher Nolan has said that it is, Yeah. but that wasn't something that necessarily I felt watching it. So I think that's probably why I had such an emotional reaction to it. Also, I have an emotional reaction to everything as a person all yeah, the time. Yeah, well, you're just like an empathetic person who like cares about people and I just <laughs> couldn't give a shit. So, all right. Um, so middling double feature, but they both have some thicker threads as well as some thin threads. Did you have any other interesting like contrasting or comparing oh notes that rapid fire um they're both super pretty and have God, very they're beautiful so they're so, visual effects so beautiful. practical visual effects lovely lovely movies to watch and this is something we talked about a little bit outside of the recording is that like they're both beautiful and they're both so stunning to look at but barbie is so much more stunning to look at from a like costume and mm -hmm. a production design standpoint while the cinematography and direction is still great like so much of the magic is in the fact that Apparently, there was a worldwide pink paint shortage <laughs> because of painting the sets for Barbie. Mm -hmm. Whereas with Oppenheimer, it is very much because of the framing and the cinematography and the way that Nolan directs the camera alongside Hoyt Van Hoytema that creates this like just really visceral image mm -hmm. that you're not quite getting with Barbie. And they're both pretty in very different ways. And yeah. That is fascinating. I think in a lot of ways, Oppenheimer is beautiful in the way of a well-made movie, and Barbie is beautiful in the way of a well-made, like, show. Yeah. I would say, like, Barbie is beautiful in a, like, theatrical production mm -hmm. sense. Yeah. Like, if you, you could put a, uh, I think you said in our Barbie episode, mm -hmm. you could do a, like, Barbie the musical, and it would be an incredible blast, um, and it would be just as pretty, I would think. Um, and that kind of, yeah, just nails it right on the head. For sure. I feel like my my last very thin thread is uh, they both use silence after loudness very effectively. Oh, I'm trying to think the Barbie moment. That's right like, at uh, the end of the movie, there's a couple times. First of all, the chase scene, and then when she ends up in the little like golden glowy room with Ruth, and then later on, right at the end of the movie, when it's been like crazy chaos, Ken's everywhere, Ken dance battle, yes. and then she ends up in that sort of white liminal space. Yeah, 
Yeah, well, we talked a lot about the the kind of liminal spaces Mm -hmm. in the episode. And yeah, yeah, the music and everything does kind of fall out and becomes very quiet and calm in those moments. And I I think those do kind of resonate in a similar way, like when Mm -hmm. the bomb goes off in Oppenheimer at the Trinity test and you see it before you hear it. Yeah, that Um, was a great sequence. Oh, dude, that was one of my favorite things. Um, I talked about it in the Oppenheimer episode is like you see, then you hear, and then you feel in the theater mm-hmm. as all the speakers were shaking everybody's seats and the emotion of that scene sets in like you feel it in every sense of the word mm-hmm. um, in that order and that is just fantastic and also when the Oppenheimer is giving his speech after the bomb goes off in Japan and the, every all the sound falls out except for like the scuffling of chairs yes. and like the soft bits of feet like none of the roaring so... sounds I feel like that movie is nominated for a sound Oscar. Well, especially those moments really stand out because that movie is kind of wall-to-wall score. Mm -hmm. The music is going almost the entire runtime. So when it isn't there, man, is it effective. And Mm -hmm. both of these movies do do that very well. So that is a a good thread. Not the thinnest, though. No, I suppose it's not actually that thin of a thread. Well, I mean, listen, if if you're talking about like cinematic language connecting two movies you're gonna find that like almost every movie can be connected so but just within our double feature that we have set here those are interesting little connections to draw also my my fun fact about barbenheimer i may have said this in the barbie episode already i know barbenheimer the person one of my college roommates um yes was getting her phd in theoretical physics and is also the blondest giggliest pinkest person ever so if barbenheimer was a person she would be Catherine. (laughs) all right good for Catherine. maybe it is good for her. She's doing okay. great. Yeah, great. Happy to hear it. Um, I will say, like on a last note, before we end, between recording this segment and recording our Barbie episode, Barbie has crossed a billion dollars at the mm-hmm. worldwide box office, making Mar- not not Margot Robbie, <laughs> making Greta Gerwig the first female solo director to uh, amass a billion dollars in a box office, which is yay, woman, fucking awesome. <laughs> Uh, you know, pretty much all of that money goes back to Warner Brothers, a giant corporation, not Greta Gerwig. But, you know, I assume she's getting some points on the back end. And this is also, I think she already had kind of this blank check of do whatever you mm-hmm. want with the Barbie movie. And now she definitely is like, Gerwig can literally do whatever she wants within the studio system. I would not be surprised to see Gerwig kind of becoming a bit of a Christopher Nolan in the sense mm-hmm. that like she has just had banger after banger after banger. And she's probably going to keep going. And it's going to reach a point where she can kind of tell a studio, like, this is what I'm doing, and you're going to pay for it, whether you like it or not. And you're going to make a bunch of money because I'm Greta Gerwig. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a, like, fun, interesting thread to look at, that Gerwig kind of seems to be in, you know, some aspects becoming kind of the new Christopher Nolan. Um, She's definitely Mm -hmm. one of, like, I think the current generation's, like, household name directors uh, in the way that, like spielberg and scorsese are of the past like you now have nolan is definitely one of them that like mm-hmm. i think most people jordan know peele. Them. jordan peele absolutely um and i think gerwig will become kind of one of those if she's not already by this point yeah um, it's hard to it's hard to like think about those things because so much of my like social life <laughs> and life on the internet is just surrounded by films so like i assume people know names that nobody fucking knows yeah i did not remember greta gerwig i like knew her name sort of but didn't remember what movie she had done until i was doing my reading before watching barbie and then i was like oh i have seen lady bird yeah um and was like oh that's who made that huh neat she would make a good barbie movie but well and interesting with uh that you mentioned 
Peel as well is Gerwig and Peel both were in front of the camera mm-hmm. before they became these massive directors that like everybody knows now. And so, so I think that is kind of an interesting little thing that we may see develop further over the years. Uh, we've also seen a lot more. This is getting off into a totally different tangent. <laughs> but we've seen a lot more like duo directors mm-hmm. um, kind of stepping into the spotlight and taking these big names. So I'm interested to see how like who becomes household names in the future progresses from kind of it seemingly is going to be actors turned directors and how this kind of like duo filmmaker thing continues to spiral out as we've seen like the Daniels have their mm-hmm. huge massive success. You know, you had the Coen brothers before them and et cetera, et cetera. And I'm seeing Wachowskis. more and more duo. Yeah. Which absolutely. You're seeing more and more duo names kind of pop up. So I'm interested. I'm that is not related at all to watch what Greta Gerwig makes next. Oh, it's going to be so well. Chronicles of Narnia. Supposedly. Really? Yep. She is uh, signed on to do at least two, I think, Chronicles of Narnia movies for Netflix. So huh. those are in development. Who knows if they'll actually come to fruition. It'll be interesting to see what she brings to the table with those adaptations. Yeah, absolutely. I will definitely be watching them as soon as they drop. <laughs> um, all right. So that's Barbenheimer. Middling double feature, but both fantastic movies. Mm-hmm. Probably not ever going to watch them together again, but we'll watch them both. Watch Don't them watch them together. All the time. Uh, next week. We are doing our sewage and gooage double feature. We're watching the live action Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles film from the 90s, the first one. And then we watched Slugs, which is a kind of B, like, gooey horror movie that I stumbled upon the other day. Uh, Neither of us have ever seen, but it looked really interesting. And a significant portion of it takes place in the sewers. So that'll be our connecting thread between those two movies. So listen in next week just push play when it pops up on your feed because you should be following the podcast and if you're liking it review and rate and if not don't just leave it alone just walk away turn it off you're done